This is Straight Ahead with the 606 Club of London and David Lewis. Grooving on a New York afternoon. We're grooving on a New York afternoon. On a Sunday. Went to the city hoping this would be the one day. New York afternoon took the subway. Village Chinatown walk down Broadway on a day in June. Strolling through the park, what a lovely, lovely feeling. Then looked at you and my heart began to reeling. This is our day here in Manhattan. Everyone is part of our play. New York afternoon. Welcome to this week's Straight Ahead, brought to you along with London's leading music venue, the 606 Club of Chelsea. I'm David Lewis. Our opening track this week was Snowboy, there along with his Latin section and their version of New York Afternoon. And you can see Snowboy this coming Friday down at the club. We're part of the EFG London Jazz Festival. He's going to be on stage along with our house band, Samara. You can get all the details for the gig, of course, on the website, 606club.co.uk. Solidifying his role as champion of the past, present and future, bass player Christian McBride released an album earlier this year called For Jimmy, Wes and Oliver, and we're about to listen to a track called Milestones. And our guest on the show this week is bass player 
Daniel Casimir. So we've got quite a few of his favourites through the course of the show. But as I mentioned, next up is Christian McBride and Milestones. <laughs> wonderful version of the Miles Davis composition Milestones, I'm sure you know it well, and you'll find it on the brand new album that was released by the Christian McBride big band earlier this summer called for Jimmy, Wes and Oliver. 
Now it's on to Buddy's bit for the week, nice and early in the show, and we're going back to 1971 on the album A Different Drummer. There's going to be trumpet solos from Jeff Stout and Lynn Viviano, with a great alto sax solo from Jimmy Mosher for many years, one of the uh, leading alto saxmen in the band. And we are going to listen to an Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice composition, Superstar.
guest on the show this week is bass player Daniel Casimir. During the course of the interview, you'll hear him talking of many of his influences, one of which was bass player uh, John Patitucci. So we're going back to an album from 2006 called Unicity. It was a trio band with John on the bass. You've got Brian Blade on the drums and Edward Simon is on the piano. And we're about to listen to The Messenger. Thank you. 
plenty of great music to come still on the show this week we've got another two artists that are with us down at the club in the second and final week of the efg london jazz festival we've got trish close and claire martin coming up and also a lovely track to close the show from frank griffith but right now we're going to carry on with another one of daniel's big influences bass player ray brown here with his big band and the works Thank you. 
Lewecki is a musician who transcends genre and transforms the guitar into a virtual Afro-Western orchestra. Well, earlier this year, he released an album called HH, which was an album which covered a load of the compositions of Herbie Hancock, a man with whom he's toured for many, many years. And we're about to listen to one of Herbie's jazz-funk classics, Rocket. Thank you. 
Lionel Lewecki and his cover of Herbie Hancock's jazz funk classic, Rocket. Finally, it's time that we get to meet this week's guest bass player, Daniel Casimir. We're going to start off the interview with one of his numbers these days. If you want to know what's happening at The Six, check out the website at 606club.co.uk. Yeah. 
And now on Straight Ahead, it's time for us to meet this week's guest, bassist, composer and producer, Daniel Casimir. Daniel, hello and welcome to Straight Ahead. Cool. Thanks for having me, David. So we were just having a little chat before we started recording and I said, eventually, it was almost inevitable and written in the stars I was going to get you. We've had many of your albums that you've played on and Friends and the Business on. We've had Camilla on this year. We've had um, Clark Tracy on the show. Uh, many Andy Davis, the trumpeter as well, of course. So you've been a busy guy recently, haven't you? Yeah, um, well... Maybe not recently. Recently, no, I realise. <laughs> yeah, maybe a busy before. musician recently would be <laughs> hard one. But uh, yeah, obviously, uh, before the lockdown, things were going really well for you, weren't they? Yeah, um, you know, I I was in a privileged position that most of um, my friends were really great musicians and are really great musicians. So um, I'm grateful that they gave me a call and, yeah, that they allowed me to work. So was, it, was your family a musical family? Uh, no. So, um, I, I grew up with just me and my mum mm -hmm. and I think my mum's tone deaf. So I, I feel like me being a musician was almost like a rebellious streak. <laughs> so you played loud and proud around the house and. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I, but I think maybe I was always musical because I knew she was tone deaf. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, it's. I, I first started off playing the steel drums. I think I was about 12. Mm -hmm. um, I used to play like the bass version of steel drums. So it was like a little 12 year old me surrounded by six all drums. Were the all drums taller than you at that point? Uh, just about. <laughs> I've, just seen my head. I've got a great picture in my head at the moment. <laughs> Um, but then I took up playing electric bass when I was 15 because I realized um, playing, playing those in a flat my neighbours wouldn't really appreciate. So I, I started playing electric bass. And then when I went to Birmingham in 2008, I started playing double bass then. So was, what drew you to the bass then? You say that was as a sort of 12, 13, 14 year old. Is that when you began to pick up the bass? Was it just because it was cool? Sounded good? I think, I think it, it kind of fitted in with my personality, I reckon. Um, you know, I, I wanted to play music, but I think I was always a bit bit shy about people watching and looking. So, like, I guess playing the bass allowed me to, to play music, but not necessarily be in the forefront. Because mm, the bass players are generally towards the back of the set and they're the last to take the solos and so on, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but many of the musicians I've had on this year have always said they, they feel that the bass is the real heart. Because I've been surprised. I always thought it would be the piano, maybe the drums. They say, no, the bass player is the one that is really driving the set. So you guys are actually critically important to the, the flavour of a, of a gig, aren't you? Um, I would like to think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I've got a little bit of bias there. Um, but, yeah, I would, I would say definitely, like, people do – do um, respect the role of the bass. I think because it it deals with everything in pretty much equal temperament. So it's got you've got the rhythm, you've got the harmonic knowledge. Some people might say the drums, but I guess when you're lost in a in a form, when you're improvising, I, I think people definitely look towards towards the bass player. And so a question that I was keen to ask you actually was the fingering of an electric bass to an upright. Is it the same? Or similar? Uh, the, the strings are the same. Right. And I think when I, when I switched over from electric bass to, to double bass, there, was, there were definitely some similarities, but I think it took maybe about two or three years to kind of appreciate 
to acknowledge the differences of the double bass compared to the electric bass to to really appreciate the crossover then. And I'm assuming that uh, for, say, a 12, 13-year-old kid, that double bass would be too cumbersome an instrument. There's not different sizes of double bass, are there? It's not like there was a starter bass. Yeah, I could, like, I could have started out on a, on a on a smaller bass, but I didn't I didn't really get into jazz until I, quite late. I would say I reckon maybe about seventeen, eighteen. Um, I I was a massive fan and still am a massive fan of a bassist called James Jameson, mm-hmm. who a Motown artist. Yeah, yeah, played on yeah. And records, and then from then there's a like a nice journey from Motown into jazz, and then I got a bit more into Jacko. Jacko Pistorius, the yeah, 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 yeah. Pistorius, yeah, and um, yeah. Sorry, I feel like I'm me and Jacko on first first name, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. But then you, I heard the story about Jacko um, taking the frets off his um, electric to make it sound a bit more of an upright, and then my interest from upright developed um, from there. So as a youngster, were you being given formal music lessons at school, for instance? Did you go the whole county band route? I know you ended up with the New Jazz Warriors, but, uh, you know, did you go the Nigel route or anything like that? Uh, no, I, well, at high school, um, my high school teacher at the time, Marjorie Thomas, she she helped me by giving, by allowing me to have one-to-one lessons in uh in electric bass with the with the bass player there at the time, which was massively influential. Mm-hmm. I did I did a couple of theory lessons at Thames Valley University. They had, used to have like a Saturday school, which actually was massively helpful in terms of getting my theory of music together beyond what I needed to know as a bass player. Um, but yeah, I I did about I did grade five, but then. But then I, I got into Birmingham Conservatoire, I think, before I properly. Which is where I was going to lead on to now. So obviously in the UK, the, the creme de la creme of the music universities are conservatoires, and Birmingham has got an impressive record and a great jazz record at the moment as well. It's turning out some very fine musicians. So did you audition purely for Birmingham, or did you try for the ones in London as well, or Leeds? Or? Um, I, well, what I did is I went to the Birmingham audition. I remember with my mum on the train, and we haven't really travelled too much outside of London within the UK. We've been on holiday, I think, but not... Because you're a West London boy, yeah, aren't you? Yeah. Greenford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we went to Birmingham and we, and we thought, oh, this is long. And um, I, I remember I had an interview <laughs> at Liverpool and thinking that if Birmingham felt far away, <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool going to take me forever. So I was like, do you know what? Um, Birmingham was, was the only actual... Birmingham and Middlesex University, I got into both of them, but um, I, I really fell in love with Birmingham Conservatory. Was the audition there a very rigorous performance? Yeah. Uh, I imagine it to be very daunting. Yeah, it was, but I think um, I, I was lucky to, to come from a great high, high school called um, Cardinal Wiseman in Greenford, which we were all, I think I was into a lot of jazz then, so... The audition was more what I was doing at the moment as opposed to really having to try and and, and learn and practice for it as such. And was it a, a perform a jazz performance course or a performance course or a jazz course that you were on? Yeah, I went on the Birmingham undergrad jazz course. 
and that was a three-year course to take it. So you moved to Birmingham and lived in Birmingham for those three yeah, years. Yeah, so it's a four-year course. Um, uh, yeah, I was there for, I think, 2008 to 2012. And oftentimes, the way at university is where you begin to form great friendships that are going to last you into the future. Did you cross paths with many great musicians there that you're still playing with to this day? Yeah, so uh, the guitarist on on my album these days, um, we 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 were in the same year together in um, in Birmingham. When I left Birmingham Conservatoire, I on sax on alto saxophone there was a um, an alto sax player called Chris Maddock. We went yes, yeah. In I heard the name. He's been around many times as well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, I, I recorded before the end of lockdown on Chris's album as well. So yeah, we we do still keep in contact, keep in contact with those who um who are based in London who went to Birmingham or um, Rachel Cohen as well. She was the a couple of years above, but yeah. So as if four years of formal education wasn't enough, you decided to take a little bit more and come back to one of the London uh, conservatoires, the Trinity Laban. Yeah, I went to Trinity between 2013 and 2015. I think, you know, I made so many great friends up in Birmingham and had such a great time. And then I moved back to London and I was like, there's only three of us from Birmingham around. So I kind of wanted to develop the same network that I had in Birmingham, hopefully in London. And what was it you were doing at Trinity then? What was your master's it, in? It was in jazz again, yeah. So earlier on in our conversation, you were saying that jazz wasn't necessarily your first influence, your first love. Was it when you were away at uni, you really began to widen your horizons and find out some of the jazz that you loved? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I knew I was heading in that direction, but, uh, but the, the conservatoire going to Birmingham initially really kind of allowed me to immerse myself in, in that world more than I reckon mm. I would have been able to dump by myself. And while you're at Birmingham, I seem to recall that you came across Dave Holland as well, who's a massive influence on you. Yeah, um, <laughs> I can see you smiling fondly and warmly as we talk of his name. Dave, oh, he's he's such like a nice and encouraging person, um, and it was it was really formative in me learning how to how to play the double bass. I remember in the first time in Birmingham, Dave Holland gave like a little masterclass of like the bass fundamentals, which. Which saw me off, really. Like, not not often people get to play an instrument and have lessons from 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 one of the world's greatest. So, yeah. Mm. And that is again the, the wonderful experiences that only conservatoires can bring you. You get exposed to that kind of level of tutors, don't you? And the, the people that you're mixing with, which is clearly going to influence you greatly along your own journey. So, after you finished at Trinity, were you finding gigs were quite easy to come by? Because we're going back to sort of about five years ago now, aren't we? Something like that. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the London jazz scene, I think it's very open. We're, we're very fortunate to have like, like the greatest clubs in the country in, in, in one city. Mm. So, with, with all the clubs and the jam sessions, you know, if, if you're, if you're good people, people want to play with you, uh, which, you know, it's definitely based on merit. So, and, and influences for you as you are beginning to stylize yourself. I think Mingus was one of the other influences. We've mentioned Jacko, but, and I know the fables of Forbus is a track I actually played on the show just a few weeks ago. We had Andy Champion on and a bass player, of course, and he immediately threw that track at me. So it's amazing how you guys, or because you gravitate towards the same sort of things, but Mingus was he a, a big stylization icon of yours? Yeah, um, it was really, really, truly. Um, my my bass teacher at the time, Arnie Somerji, 
got got me onto Mingus and no, I know that name as well. I've seen that name around for sure. Yeah, Ar- yeah, Arnie, Arnie's around. And, um, yeah, so yeah, was a great influence. Ray Brown, um, modern influences would include Christian McBride, John Padatuzzi. And did you find that you were now gravitating towards playing a more straight-ahead style of jazz, or I'm not wishing to try and pigeonhole you at all, but obviously in your own mind, you were, you know, coming onto the scene in London, uh, getting gigs playing, and you must, you knew the sound that you wanted to have. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I definitely love playing straight-ahead and swing, and I, but I, I reckon that I, I have, that I'm trying, that I'm trying to maybe balance a, both worlds a little bit of playing mm-hmm. straight ahead music and something a bit more straight eights and a bit more contemporary. And do you still listen, get time to listen to other, you know, a bit of groove, a bit of soul? I mean, you pl- I know you've played on some of those, that that style of album. Is that still music that influences you and you sit at home and listen to as well? Yeah, completely, completely. Um, you know, I, it, the, uh, the Motown stuff is, is timeless. So mm-hmm. yeah stick on a bit of stevie and everybody's happy and, and wayne shorter i believe is also an influence on you certainly the was it the juju album yeah that you were really absolutely love that album um all yeah all, all of wayne's stuff including his, his modern um hybrid kind of orchestral um jazz quintet stuff and there's a little bit of uh, gospel's the wrong term there's a church influence to some of your numbers that I was listening to prior to talking to you. And I, and I know that church had to some degree a part of your upbringing, didn't it? I think Pentecostal and Catholic, is that right? Yeah. My, so on Sundays, my mum made me go to like, so we did the Roman Catholic church to begin with. And then I had a couple of hours at home. Then I would go to Pentecostal Sunday school. So it was, I had a very mixed, I don't want to say like maybe the Roman Catholic church was, was more formal. But comparatively speaking, I, I definitely had both elements of, of worship in my upbringing. So um, I, I hopefully have to bring that to the music. Our security's not what we own. It lies in hearts of other souls. And the front lines first off go alone. Our lives are not something they can own. This emotion's got you hypnotized. Slowly we should change our mind about I'm still on your Thank you. 
off the first part of our interview with Daniel was another one of his compositions, Security. And during that first part of the interview, we heard him speaking of his love of the album from Wayne Shorter, Juju. So I thought it's somewhat appropriate. We should probably listen to the title track.
been shorter and juju. So we are going to carry on now listening to our interview with uh, bass player Daniel Casimir and another one of his compositions gets us going and it is Uncle James. You're listening to me, David Lewis, and this is Straight Ahead. Listen online, on DAB and on smart speakers. Straight Ahead with London's leading music venue, The 606 Club.
And there's a quote, perhaps you've forgotten you even made it, but there's something that you, <laughs> that you did say, saying art is very pointless and that kind of the religion made it seem more real. And I was, I was gravitated towards that statement because I kind of, I suppose if you're looking in a grander, fuller meaning of life, yeah, art and what you do, what is it? It's, a, it's an art form. It's not a tangible something that we have to have in life. Clearly, we'd all miss not having music. But it was very interesting. I should see you put that down as a musician to say, well, art is actually pointless. And it's a, it's a fascinating view. Yeah, I kind of always like, because obviously I've, I've, I've done my master's now. So like, there is, there's always, always wonder if I ever get like the letters of, of, of a PhD and become like a doctor. And in an instance where like you're on a plane and somebody says that they need a doctor, <laughs> they, they, they fingers can point at you yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah i'm not really a man yeah yeah exactly yeah so i i definitely feel like that almost like for me anyway i know some people would disagree that definitely the arts is almost a sign of a higher of a higher being and recording now you, you came pretty much straight out of uni and began to record your first album i think it was back in 2017 the SKP. Yeah. Was the whole recording process something that you enjoy and felt? Because I, I, again, I, having spoken to so many musicians this year, there, there seems to be camps. Guys, it's, no, it's all about the live and albums is just to mark that moment in time. Some other guys really enjoy the whole process of nailing it in the studio over three days and just getting it done. Where do you fall on that? I, I really like both, both of them, I, I would say. Um, like looking back, I think I did a count I've done since 2012 about 32 different records so it's, it's it's a nice legacy to have to be like these are the records that i'm on and as you listen back to some of the earlier albums that recorded do you find that you can hear that your style has matured changed developed i guess every art <laughs> point is, is every <laughs> every art should develop because otherwise you're standing still right and i would hope so um that that i develop i i tend not to listen to myself um too often um, it can be a very daunting thing to hear yourself back, can't it? Yeah, yeah. Like maybe initially I'll, I'll listen back and I'll be like, "Cool, I need to work on this." But, but then you know, so so many different things happen in the recording process, and that maybe like the EQ, the balance, and everything else that um, I tend I tend to do it and just just let it go. Do you have producers running the sessions where you don't do it all yourself? You know I mean, you're clearly responsible for the scores, the pads, getting the guys in, but you don't. Do the, run the actual session yourself? Do I take it? I, for for my stuff, I I run the session. Oh, you yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course, you've had an album released this year. These days, in these ways, right? Yeah. So we released the album these days, um, November twenty nineteen. Mm -hmm. But before we did that, we recorded it the August, not of that year, but the year before. So I really wanted to do like a little EP that kind of showcase the development of those tunes from the year from um the year gap that we actually recorded it and, and release it rather quickly eps are so hot at the moment every artist it seems is releasing like a four track ep either, either a teaser for an album release or just as a project by themselves i'm going to send so many eps at the moment it's obviously a very on vogue thing yeah it's it's like recording is really expensive um <laughs> And mm. Oh, I don't know it. I mean, that's the thing I've mean, been pointing out many times. You know, if you're going to support you guys, go to Bandcamp, go to your websites, buy as directly from you as you possibly can, because these projects are not cheap. Getting the guys in the session time, the studio time. Yeah, precisely. And sometimes, like EPs are are 
what we can literally afford to do at the time, like in order to pay the musicians, get it mixed and mastered, pay for mm-hmm. the studio time. So sometimes it's just like, you know, I'd rather just release for four or five tracks of, of music that I'm extremely passionate about. And maybe I can chuck in a, a couple of originals in the live set, which um, brings the balance between recording and live. So we're playing obviously some of your music on the show this week. One track that just made me smile. I, I, I think your father, and I mentioned that because one of the tracks you've uh, sent me is The Missing of Sleep. <laughs> anything to do with pe- anything to do with parenthood? <laughs> yeah, so um, this track was uh, was on um, the album Jean Toussaint Live at the Jazz Cafe. We recorded it last London Jazz Festival. Um, and my daughter, uh, at the time when I wrote, this, wrote the tune, was just born. So like I, I, I was missing sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, obviously, I like I was enjoying fatherhood, but um, yeah, sleep sleeps. In- You'd like to catch up and sleep too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other tracks you sent us through the the Uncle James track was just interesting to know a little bit more about that one as well. Another one of your tracks. I yeah. Think. So that was written in dedication to to my brother-in-law actually. So like when you have children, like your names just change. So. For for him, he like he, he was James, and then he became Uncle James. So um, he he passed away sadly. So I, I wrote that in dedication to, to him. That's the wonderful thing that you guys have, though. You have that talent to be able to mark somebody, just you know, somebody that was obviously close to you, and be able to just write a song and that legacy. You guys have got something special. Sometimes I don't know if you know how gifted and lucky you truly are to be able to do something like that. But uh, still enjoying being a dad, by the way. So uh, catching up on sleep now. Now she's a year and a bit old. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm enjoying it. You know, as as she's older, able to have that relationship, which actually, I guess, with with lockdown, I was able to to spend some some real quality time with the child, which mm. um, oh, it's been difficult as a musician, but as a, as a father, I, I've, I've appreciated it. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because uh, I'm guessing you, along with most of the other guys I've had on the show this year, it was just red strike through the diary, bang, 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 gig after gig recording session just going how did that affect you mentally early on was it kind of a staring into the barrel wondering what you were going to do or yeah I think you know for me um it's quite funny so I I had a a travel base which I sold just before in the October before so when lockdown happened it was more of like oh how am I going to make a living but uh, luckily the selling of of that instrument saw me through for a little bit um yeah it was it was just mad because i think at the time we were preparing tess and i who i released both the the ep and the album with we were preparing to go to south by southwest showcase in texas so we literally had a had a like a little duo rehearsal and we we got them i think we heard from the news that south by southwest was cancelled um and it, it just snowballed from there, the, uh, the, the cancellations. So, But as you said, it, 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 I think uh, uh, personally, as individuals away from the art form, away from music, it's actually been a good thing. We've all just been able to step back a little bit and just take the foot off the accelerator. Always, you know, your diary must have been insane. So to spend some good time at home with your young daughter wouldn't have been a gift that you had been given before. 
And suddenly, you know, you've had that and be able to really form a great relationship with, and that's going to stand you in the test of time forever and a day. And, you know, that's so important, isn't it? So there are good things to ironically have come out of this awful year that we've all been through. Definitely. And I, I think maybe in a, in a few years' time, when we look back, I think we will like, we'll be able to appreciate some, some of the things that, um, that we gained through the lockdown. But obviously, uh, what is a massive concern to, to everybody is, is jobs mm-hmm. and the lack of work. Bess uh, and I, we were scheduled to play at the Jazz Cafe, but Unfortunately, with with the new lockdown restrictions, um, that that can't happen. And I'm like every musician's in the same boat, for especially theatre musicians as well. So yeah, it's 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 a it's a difficult time. But um, so I'm sitting down with you just before the week before London Jazz Festival. Are you doing any live streaming through that? Have you got any gigs? Because I think, from what I'm understanding, gigs can still happen as long as. Even for you guys, it's social distancing on stage, and you can have depending on the size of the club and the stage, you can only have so many people present. So, are you taking part in the festival this year? The dates that I had in the festival have been cancelled um, um, be- because of lockdown. I think certain venues were considered as mm-hmm. as leisure leisure, mm. so therefore had to shut. I know, I know some people are still doing gigs in a live stream capacity, but unfortunately, the places that I was playing that I was scheduled to play in didn't have that facility um, up and ready. We need to get you back down at the six then. Now we're live streaming in, HD, in high def. We need to get you back down there. Yeah, I was there a couple of weeks ago with, with Binker and that was... He's on a roll at the moment, isn't he, Binker? Yeah, he's a... He's, yeah, yeah well, absolutely. We'll and you're part of that band and, you know, that's a great thing. There's, a, there's such a strength in London jazz at the moment and that's possibly being area sensitive, not meaning to discount the rest of the UK, but there is such a hotbed around, isn't there? And certainly where you are, West London... Ealing, I mean, Ealing particularly, kind of every corner you turn, there's another great jazz musician, another great club. There's, there's so much great live music out there in the days when we were allowed to perform live music. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, which is nice because it, it takes me a couple of hours yeah. to get to Eastland. <laughs> so at 6 that's like 40-minute journey from my house, which, which so is, if we yeah, to just door. put our finger in the air and test the future, at this point in time, what are you hoping next year holds in store for you? Um, I... I am releasing an album, hopefully this time next year with Jasmine Fresh. Yep. Oh, they're a wonderful setup. They're again so behind jazz in the UK, aren't they? They really take care of artists, manage them, get them released, do all the paperwork and everything you need to get your stuff up on the streaming platforms. Yeah, they they've been massively supportive and been pivotal in my career. Like, like in addition to the musicians I've I've had the pleasure of playing with, they've. They've been so supportive and been there from the get-go. I think the main thing that that Jazz Refresh um, does is that they provide a platform for music that they just simply believe mm. that is good. And they they worry about like the following and all the kind of social media and and the number aspects of of, of music later. But to them, as long as the music is good that they they will support it. So yeah. And have you been, have you been busy writing through lockdown? Yeah, I've been I've been getting more into orchestration actually, and which I was doing before the lockdown. But um, obviously, trying to write for orchestras take, takes a yeah, long time. Yeah, but we had Callum um, on earlier in the year with his his little yes. piece outfit, <laughs> a full orchestra plus a big band. So we had a little insight to what that's like. Then, what's, what is, is that appeals to you about orchestration? And is it the size, the sound, the depth of numbers, the I guess the richness that you can create? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it is the richness that it, it creates. Um, 
I'm definitely, it's always something that I've been in. Um, so, so this new album that I've written, it's got a string quartet, a brass section and a woodwind. So it's, it's like a really makeshift orchestra. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking to see what I can do in that capacity and I'm finding my voice. Mm. I'm guessing it must be very different writing for an orchestra, obviously, because you're transposing for all those different parts and the sounds that you're hearing in your head, you need to replicate in the studio, don't you? Yeah. And, and it's also like, um, considering that it's, it's great and it's fun to do like write parts on logic, but then you have to realize that. You know, horn players need to breathe. And <laughs> I know their riders are ridiculous, aren't they? <laughs> Breathing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that's the thing that um, maybe, maybe through lockdown and composing that you can forget that. You also need to remember that you're, you're writing for people. For people. So let's talk. What do you like on your socials? Do you keep on top of that? Are you good at making sure people know what you're up to? Um, I, I think I'm quite bad. <laughs> Refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think I'm terrible. But, um, I remember watching this documentary and they, they said that, um, the truth is boring. And that's, <laughs> that's literally, I'm literally sounding terrible at things that I can't do yet, but sounding just a little bit better every day, which, um, I don't think people are interested in hearing. Um, yeah, I, I'm happy to share the end product, but maybe I'll, I'll keep, I like to keep the process to myself. But. So as ever before speaking to you, I was checking out your website. It's a nice, sharp looking website, which is danielcasimirbase.com. And that's C-A-S-I-M-I-R, danielcasimirbase.com. Go take a look there. And uh, obviously you're over on Bandcamp as well. So people can grab albums from you there. And with, as you just said, there's the new album for next year, isn't it, you said? Yeah, next year, I think we are planning on releasing a single... We're planning on releasing like bits of it throughout the year, but I think it will be physically available this time next year. But I'm hoping to have something released um, in January, actually. So, yeah. Wonderful. Oh, do make sure you let us know. We'd love to play it on the show as well. And next time you're down to six, uh, if numbers permit, <laughs> I'll come down and shake it. Well, hopefully we can actually shake hands. By <laughs> if not, I'll just do this horrible elbow bump thing and say hi. But uh, Daniel, it's been lovely to have you on the show. I say it was a. Uh, always going to be the case. It was this ever-decreasing circle through the course of the summer. Everybody I turned to and spoke to seemed to have had you on their record. So I just knew I wanted to catch up with you. So Daniel, many thanks indeed for spending the time with us this week on the show. Thanks for having me. Real pleasure. This next one is a debut performance of a brand new piece written for this occasion (laughs) by our fantastic bassist, Daniel Casimir. And he just had a baby girl. (laughs) And he calls this one the missing of sleep. Thank you. 
We truly have been so lucky during the course of this year to have some wonderful and gifted musicians come on to Straight Ahead, and none more so than Daniel, Daniel Casimir. And uh, Daniel, many thanks indeed for your time. It was a real joy speaking with you, and I do so hope that when things hopefully return to some kind of normality, we can catch up down at the club. In the first part of the interview, you will have heard uh, Daniel speaking of Jacko Pistorius. Well, in a few hours' time, Willem Sincock is with us, and he is going to be performing a tribute to that very bass player. So let's listen to Willem now with The Way You Look Tonight. 606 Gift Vouchers, a unique present for those who love the good things in life.
And that was Gwilym Sinkok, who's with us in just a few short hours' time, performing his tribute to bassman Jaco Pistorius. And looking forward to the weekend now, and <laughs> to be frank, who isn't? We've got uh, sax player Trish Clough. She's down with us. Don't forget, all the details are on the website, 606club.co.uk, and the gigs all get going at 7.45 due to the current restrictions. And here is Trish with one of our own compositions, Atlas.
Bush closed. Don't forget, is with us this coming weekend, which means we will be live streaming. So from the very comfort of your own living room, you can enjoy that gig. And now we go on to the artist that is going to be closing things out for us on this year's EFG London Jazz Festival, Claire Martin, who's going to be performing the songbook of Tony Bennett and Bill Evans. And here she is with a great track along with Jim Mullen from her album Bumpin', and this is Going Out of My Mind. I think I'm going out of my head Over you Over you I want you to want me I need you so badly I can't think of anything but you And I think I'm going out of my head Cause I can't explain tears that I shed over you, over you. I see you each morning, but you just won't pass me. You don't even know that I exist. Going out of my head, over you. Should keep us apart And I think I'm going out of my head Yes, I think I'm going out of my head Going out of my head Over you Out of my head Over you Out of my head Day and night Night and day and night Wrong or right I'm going out of my head Yes, I think I'm going out of my head Going out of my head 
Claire Martin going out of my head. And Claire is our final act on this year's EFG London Jazz Festival. Don't forget, go over to our website, 606club.co.uk. You can find all the details there, the gigs we've got coming up over the next few days. And of course, all of those gigs will be available as a live stream. So the picture quality and sound quality is stunning. And I know that for a fact because I was tuned in both Saturday and Sunday of last weekend. Many thanks indeed to Daniel for being on the show this week. Next week, being the last Wednesday of the month, Joe Harrop and I are together once again. And I can say we're going to have a little touch of Christmas sprinkled in there as we head into December. So rounding out the show for us this week, as I mentioned, is a lovely gentleman, sax player Frank Griffith. And he has made a wonderful, wonderful version of the beautiful ballad, Body and Soul. Enjoy the rest of your week, and I hope to catch you back here for more Straight Head at the same time next week.